Well, today we're going to be uh, focused on an important aspect in the Christian life, and it's not talked about a whole lot in Scripture, but uh, Paul really amplifies this spectrum of how he learned Christian contentment. And so today we're going to be learning this mystery that he's describing of Christian contentment. And before we start, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your goodness in our lives, your love, your mercy, and your grace that you bestowed upon us through the sacrifice of your Son being the propitiation for our sins and giving us a new life, giving us your Word and your Spirit to grow and be transformed to the image of your Son. We pray today that the issue of Christian contentment is something that Paul learned over time. And I pray that you give me the words to speak clearly of this text so we might know what Paul was conveying to these, these Philippian believers so they would be more effective in advancing the gospel and the progress of the gospel, but very important as a foundation without the Without the understanding of Christian contentment, it would be impeding the ability to be effective in ministry, to serve the Lord in the local church, and to grow in the Christian faith. We pray that you'd help us understand the meaning of the text, the implications of the text, and evaluate our hearts and minds and our lives. And See if how we align with what Paul has been saying and understand that he learned this not in a moment, but over time. And we just thank you for your grace and your mercies are new every day. And we just pray these things and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, looking at some of the definitions of contentment from an adjective, and you'll hear me being a teaching grammar, you'll probably hear a lot of different aspects of grammar through the t- through the message today, um, look at looking at it from contentment from an a- adjective uh, as an adjective means being satisfied with what one is or has and not wanting more or anything else. Or as a verb, it's to make content, or these things content me. And as a noun, it's a state or a feeling of being content satisfaction or contentment. Now on the other side of the spectrum, we've got discontentment or being discontent. It's the idea of being dissatisfied, discontent, restless, a restless desire or craving for something one does not have or malcontent, dissatisfaction, a lack of contentment being displeased with your circumstances. In other terms, another way to say it is, discontentment can be measured between the distance from where where you're currently at and what you want. Where you're currently at and what you want. And what changes need to be taking place in order to make your discontentment content in the Lord. Now, discontentment is a gnawing sin on your heart. 
it eats away at your heart. It eats away at your joy. It impedes your obedience and your walk and your ministry to the Lord. It affects others around you. Discontentment fails to recognize the sovereignty of God in your life and the current matters of your life. It fails to recognize God's providence, His goodness, His love, and His mercy and grace. A discontent heart is not a happy heart. It's not satisfied with God's provision. And it's not thankful and it lacks gratitude. A discontented heart and a discontented attitude undealt with over time will manifest damage or or destroy relationships. Manifest anger and envy. Build or feed resentment in your heart towards others. Or produce a complaining and murmuring spirit. And Paul talks about that in chapter 2 of Philippians. The sin of discontentment undealt with will also destroy and rob you of healthy relationships in your marriage, with your husband, with your spouse, with your, with your children, siblings, other family members, work relationships, even relationships with brothers and sisters in the church. It can rob you with discontentment, with dealing with health issues, loss of a loved one, financial loss, or other struggles. Uh, other struggles, And yes, discontentment greatly affects the Christian life. But thankfully, as a genuine Christian, we have the ability to change from a discontented heart to a content heart. We recognize the sufficiency of Scripture, the Spirit of God working in our lives. And sometimes we can't change our circumstances, but the work and Spirit of God can change those things. And in addition, we have the ability to use the Word of God in counseling to help reconcile issues that may come up between various relationships. And Paul knew of the importance of contentment in the spiritual lives of the Philippian believers in order to progress in the faith and that the gospel would advance. And what we're going to see in our text is that Paul shares how he learned contentment and how to be content in whatever and all circumstances he may encounter. Now, the theme of Philippians, as you may have studied in the past, is joy and unity. But tethered together, as we read in the scriptural reading today, tethered together, you could, you could see other, other uh, concepts being tied into it. The gospel, the idea of progressing in the faith, having the same mind and the same attitude, the same doctrine, and also tied with unity and joy is suffering. Paul being the example, being in jail through these, through these times. So Paul wants to form an understanding of these related issues in the minds of the Philippians because the gospel cannot advance without their change and transformation in their understanding and application as to what is biblical contentment. We read through the passage of chapter 1 through uh, to 2-2 two, two, and in the first couple chapters and sprinkled throughout the rest of the, uh, the epistle, we see these aspects of joy. In Philippians, uh, joy and rejoicing. In Philippians 2-17-18, he says, But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice 
and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. As we read in verse 125, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the progress, with, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So there we see progress and understanding what Paul is trying to convey in this short epistle is crucial to the advancement of the gospel. He was encouraging the brothers to follow in these things. He wanted them to have the same mind as we read in Philippians 2, 2, uh, 2 1 and 2, 2. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same doctrine, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, and intent on one purpose. The same standard. It's a kindred spirit. Have this attitude. And Paul said in Philippians 1, 29 and 30 that it's not only a blessing to believe, but also to suffer for his namesake. So he's tying all these things together and coming to chapter 4, we see how he begins to build on different aspects of the Christian faith, ultimately towards contentment, but he wants them to capture the importance of rejoicing and having joy in the faith. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and we'll see he focuses on how to pray biblically. In uh, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And thanksgiving is critical to the Christian faith and having a right spirit. So right praying, biblical praying. Philippians 4.8, he continues on after having right prayer, how we should think, thinking biblically. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell is uh, an imperative command, active, and a present tense. This should be your continual habitual durative practice, fixing your mind on the things that honor the Lord. In verse 9, Paul makes himself the example. He says, And the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, we've got an imperative command. It's active, and it's present tense. It's durative, continual, habitual. You should be practicing. I'm your example. Things you've heard, received, and seen in me. Practice these things, and what follows, the God of peace will be with you. We come to our verse for our text today of Philippians 4.10-13. through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. 
I know how to get along in humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So all believers must learn Christian contentment so that they progress in the faith and they are able to participate in the advancement of the gospel. We're going to see in our text today three main points. Uh, In verse 10, uh, we're going to learn, uh, learn the mystery of Christian contentment through joy in the Lord's provision. In verses 11 and 12, through contentment in the Lord's provision. And in verse 13, through spiritual strength by the Lord's provision. Joy, contentment, and spiritual strength. In verse 10, again, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last I have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. This, uh, the way he's expressing this in the original language, it can be translated, and I was rejoiced. And it's a superlative of how he was rejoiced. Megalos. You heard of mega? Well, in, in Chile, they have these billboards that are trying to amplify how, much, how many gigabytes you get with this phone service. Mega! <laughs> well, he is trying to say superlatively, I have been rejoiced greatly. In, in the original, in the, in the translated text here, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord greatly. But it was what the Philippians had provided him in ministering to his needs that he was rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Now, as background and understanding a little bit about Paul's background with the Philippians, uh, he is... And from 49 to 52, Paul had a second missionary trip. And according to Acts 17, 1 through 13, Paul founded the church there. And later, um, they supported him when he went to Macedonia. And he traveled to the cities of Thessalonica and Berea. Um, again, he had the opportunity to be supported by them in, chat, in verses 14 and 18 of the same, uh, 14 through 18, 18. Uh, when he went to Achaia, Athens, and Corinth. So 10 years later, we have Paul. He's imprisoned at 61 or 62. He's imprisoned, and he writes this epistle, and he's expressing his gratitude. And he says, furthermore, that I was blooming uh, in this idea of having been revived for your concern for me. Now that you, now, that now at last, You have revived your concern for me, that you finally revived your care for me, of which you were also solicitous, but you lacked opportunity. Leslie and I, in in a sense, can we can relate to that as being missionaries, and and we are greatly rejoiced in the same way. Uh, When you hope has been there faithfully supporting us, we've had various needs, conferences, softwares and other projects that we've raised support. And we can uh, have the same feeling as Paul as he's being, as he is uh, rejoicing in what the Lord provides. Also, on the other side of this, 
Paul is also talking about how they should be rejoicing as well. Before we uh, went to uh, uh, the seminary, uh, Leslie and I had a career of being uh, CPAs for 20 years, and God blessed our practice uh, for many of those years. And we had the privilege to participate on the other side as well. So we had the joy of blessing others and blessing the advancement of the gospel. And that is, that is being expressed by Paul here with the sacrificial giving of the Philippians. All of us, we need to be interested in providing the needs for the local church and also for the advancement of the gospel. And Paul is more interested here, not in his interest of being fulfilled, but notice what he says in, um, uh, in verse 417. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul was more interested in others, not in himself. So there's joy on both sides. The recipients of, of the, uh, the local church and other ministries of the gifts are blessed and have been rejoiced. And they, have, uh, they who have literal, uh, liberally and generously um, donated and given, uh, they have a joy because they know that they're investing in eternal treasures of the advancement of the gospel. Um, a couple times I've had the opportunity to teach in our church and, and other churches in Chile. Some of the missionaries, when they came and they would plant a church for about five years and they move on, unfortunately, some of the churches were not uh, trained how to support the new pastor that they would, the national pastor that they would install. So a lot of, a lot of times these national pastors had difficulty uh, su- supporting themselves. They had to be vocational, bivocational. But um, we've been learning in 1 Corinthians 9 how to sow liberally instead of sowing with a, an expression that's in Chile, mano de guava. I don't know if that's the same thing in Argentina, but every country has these different sayings. And uh, there's a book called um, How to Survive in the Chilean Jungle with all these modismos they have, all these, uh, all these sayings. But um, in teaching that 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, verse 6 through 15, um, I had a, a, a man, an older man in our church who worked in the fields, gave me a burlap um, apron that had a big pocket. And I just used, I don't usually use this kind of many, many examples like this, but I took seed and I said, how much seed can be sown and how much blessing can be dispersed when your hand is clenched like a baby over it with its toy. And also on the other side, think about, uh, I, took a, I took a handful of seed and just opened it up and just went across the floor. Look how much, how much can be blessed by that. And we all need to take a look at where we're at we're, with, our, with the, uh, the wealth and the possessions that we're all administrators of what God has provided us. And we want to, have an open hand to be generous. And that, that's what brings joy to us. Not what's in our 401ks or in our brokerage accounts or in our cash accounts or our possessions. We get joy from seeing what the Lord is doing in the lives of believers in a local church and the gospel being spread throughout the world. Look at verse 11 and 12. We're going to see learning this mystery through 
contentment in the Lord's provision. In verse 11, we're going to see the state of Christian contentment by Paul. And in verse 12, we're going to see experiences that formed Christian contentment in Paul's life. The state of Christian contentment, verse 11, and the experiences that have formed Christian contentment in verse 12. He says, verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And literally he's saying here, I'm not speaking of necessity or deficiency in something or being short of something, but emphatically he's putting emphasis here in the original language, I, I have learned to be happy. I have learned to be satisfied in whatever I am or whatever circumstances or situation that I'm in. He's putting emphasis on himself in the original language. He's content with respect to external goods or for confidence in the sufficient provision that the Lord provides. I have enough. Whether I have some or I don't have any, I have learned this um, this concept of being content. He says, he writes the first Timothy 6 6, he says, but godliness actually is a means of con- great is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. So Paul wants to emphasize himself that he can be an example to them in their understanding of Christian contentment. In whatever circumstances, I'm content, satisfied. I have an ease of mind. It's the act of making contentedly, making yourself contentedly satisfied. Satisfied with satis- and satisfaction. In verse 12, this verse is, can be div- is divided up into a couple parts here. We're going to look at the first, the first part of the verse. But I want you to capture the range of the spectrum of how he's talking about contentment. Paul uses uh, has a couple other verses in some of the epistles. In Colossians 1.15, he talks about the supremacy of Christ. And in Colossians 1.15 through 20, he says, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the, he- in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is also the head of the body of the church, and He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. It's got, we have this whole, this whole spectrum in five verses of who Christ is. He's supreme over all things. He talks about the love of Christ in Ephesians 3, in verse 17 through 19. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. And in the same way, you may not see it exactly in the text, but if you look at a structural diagram and you see how this is laid out or and with the Greek text, you'll, you'll see how 
he covers the full spectrum of any and every circumstance. So he explains, he demonstrates the width that he learned from contentment through the experiences in his life that the Lord brought up on him. Paul shares these comments to the Philippians about the lessons he learned in the service of the Lord. It was through these experiences, Paul grew in his trust and faith in Jesus Christ by the Lord's provisions in each and every circumstance. He's an open book. He's for all to see. His life is well known with the sufferings and the sufferings of the gospel. If you take a look through the New Testament and you uh, uh, try to Look at words, suffering, difficulties, hardships, afflictions, trials. You can't turn the New Testament three or four pages without coming across those kinds of words. And we see that every faithful servant of the Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ who talks about his humility, he was content in fulfilling the will of the Father and being our sacrifice on the cross for us with full obedience. In verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Now, this word know is, is mentioned twice here in the first half of the verse. And there's two types of knowing in Greek, just like it is in Spanish. You have conocer, uh, which is to know, have, know things more on a personal level. And... Um, here, uh, that would be gnosko in the Greek. On the other side, saber is to know something more intellectually. Uh, I don't know if um, just reflecting and contemplating these things. And on the other end, in Spanish, it's saber. But in English, we don't have a distinction between uh, knowing what aspect Paul is conveying from the Greek language. But here, it's saber, or well, it's oida. Oida is um, a, the Greek meaning to know intellectually, and it's a present indicative active verb. And understanding what the Greek teaches for a perfect tense verb, Paul is pointing back to a time in the past when this learning took effect and it continued with ongoing results to the present time and with future results. So he says, I know how to get along in humble means. Now that's a translation here. But if you, fo when following what follows Oida is um, a, a, a passive infinitive. And if you were going to translate this literally, I have known to be humbled. Through time, I have known to be humbled. I have known to be humiliated in whatever and any circumstance. I have learned all of this. He was made small. He was made weak. He was oppressed and his spirit was broken. And uh, if you, I don't know if you had the opportunity to read uh, a book by Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan author, a uh, wonderful author. Uh, he has a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And if you're fighting with contentment after this message, and we all struggle with these applications because it's a, these things come up regularly in our lives. Uh, he's got a great book on 
dealing with what is the rare jewel of Christian contentment. And if you deal with a murmuring heart, he's got two chapters on murmuring. So uh, supplemental reading for your homework. But Jeremiah Burroughs talked about this contentment is usually learned by reduction, by decrease, by subtraction. And so here we can see, when did this start for Paul? When was this time back in the past when Paul began to learn what is contentment through being humiliated or learning humility? In Acts 9, 15 and 16, he says, this is when the Lord called, uh, called for him to, to ministry. Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name for the, before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, chapter three, Philippians, he was talking about all his credentials. He says, these credentials don't matter anymore. I'm just keeping my focus ahead. And while he's keeping his focus ahead in 2 Corinthians 6, he gives us a list of all these different sufferings. You know, some people don't have a difficult time learning humility and what Christian humility is. The Lord used, if we're letting the Spirit of God work in our lives, um, we've had, we had a couple issues in this past year in our church and also in our seminary where we had self-taught people coming into the church and the seminary, and they think they know everything. They've never been under authorities. They don't under what, understand what the church is, the structure, the governmental structure and the authority of the elders and how they should follow, and they can be a great damage to the church. So I encourage you, have a humble spirit and line up under your leaders. Well, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 13, give, giving no cause for offense in anything so that ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as, yet, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as many as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouth is, has, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is, is opened wide, and you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as, ch as to children, open wide to us also. Just a couple other things. If that wasn't enough in chapter 6 and chapter 11, he adds another list. In verse 20, in the middle of verse 23, and far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, 39 times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, 
and dangers among false brethren. Paul was being humbled. I mean, it was just chopping him down, chopping him down, chopping him down. If we're going to be faithful in ministry, we're going to suffer. God's going to allow circumstances in our lives to humble us. Um, sometimes we want to get encouragement from our wives when we're going through these difficult times and looking for compassion and encouragement. And sometimes they just like being biblical and they'll say, um, well, you haven't suffered to the point of our Lord or the Apostle Pablo or Apostle Paul. <laughs> yeah. But now he's teaching contentment that he was being made humble. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 19, or verse 7 through 10, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, keep uh, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Concerning this, I implore you, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, All, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast, in, boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Here we go. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Proverbs says, take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Paul, or Paul recognized himself as the chief of sinners. He was humbled and humbled and humbled through, through the providence of God, through circumstances and challenges, trials and suffering, difficulties and hardships. God humility, humili humiliated him as part of an aspect of teaching him contentment. To make small, to weaken, and oppress. And then he also says, I have known, okay, just like being, I have known to be humiliated or humbled, looking at the second part of that first side of the verse, I have known prosperity. And we'll see the word prosperity, but he was learning prosperity over time. And I don't think it's prosperity so much in the way that we would see prosperity in the United States, but he was recognizing an abundance of spiritual blessings and material blessings for the needs of to fulfill ministry. I remember um, uh, when we were looking at doing um, missions, a uh, missions director one time says, you know, if, if you have never traveled outside of our country, you ought to travel and see parts of the world because you live in Disneyland. It's Disneyland here. I mean, even Chile can, can be considered, uh, they live almost as kings and queens. Uh, they're, 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 though, they, they're, though they're pretty humble, they have a much better position than many people in this world. But here in the second half of this verse, it says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Now, this word, um, we need to take a look at the verb here first. It's mueo. Mueo is an interesting word because it's used in extra-biblical extra uh, languages to begin in the mysteries. 
or to be to be initiated into the mysteries. So Paul here, in, in, in a certain aspect, he's been initiated into these secret experiences of the power of Christ, learning how to live in contentment through all the set pressures of daily life and ministry and the gifts that he, and the gifts that he has been given. The word, the, this word, it's me, muame, muamai. It's a perfect tense, but it's passive. You, you see in this text here, it says, I have learned, in a, in a, in a sense, it's, perf- it's a perfect tense. I've learned this over time, but it, it's really a passive. So you can't really translate, I have been learned, but rather the idea is, I have been taught. I have been taught this secret of four different aspects, being filled, going hungry, having abundance, and suffering need. So you could take this, these, two, um, these two prepositions in each and in every circumstance and link those to each one of those four items. So Paul is saying here, in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret of being satiated. When he received and didn't have any more need. Number two, he's in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret in being hungry. We read that, what he was struggling with. And number three, in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret of abundance. This is both abundantly in material aspects and also in spiritual. The word abundance has been used uh, frequently by Paul in aspects of God's truth, God's grace, God's love, His glory. Uh, in in um, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, just, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So as the leaders of the church, we give thanks for the abundant provisions to sustain the work here, but we also look to more, have more gratitude in the abundant growth of the believer's faith in the Word of God and Christ and His work in, in their lives. So Paul gave thanks for these provisions. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that all, always having a, all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And number four, in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret of having need. In 1 Corinthians 4.10 and through 13, he says, We are fools for Christ, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. We are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. And we are persecuted, we endure. Ca- capture the form of contentment. He's, he's there rather than lashing back at somebody, correcting them. We're ble- we bless. We, we endure. When we're slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as a scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Jeremiah Burroughs said, 
you're at the point where you need to lower your desires. You cannot learn humility and contentment until you've lowered your desires down to the what God desires and is doing in your life, in your circumstances. And Paul didn't care in Acts 20, 24, but I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So think about that in your own lives. Have you learned Christian contentment? How are you dealing with circumstances in your life? Are you seeing through time where God is working and trying to teach you aspects of humility, how to live in abundance, how to be satiated? Or how are you in your relationships? How are you in the attitudes of your heart in your marriage with your spouse, husband, or wife, or with your kids? your health and your job in church. Paul talked about the importance of thanksgiving as an important, I call it the recipe, a necessary recipe for the Christian life. It's thanksgiving. It, we, we saw that in Philippians 4, 6, and how we should pray with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, give thanks in everything for this is God's for, will for you in Christ Jesus. It's his sovereign work. He's order, ordering things in your life. In Ephesians 5.4, in contrast to sinful, uh, sinful um, desires, you should have a- uh, attitudes of, great, uh, of thanksgiving. And part of the being filled with the Spirit um, in 5.20, um, giving thanks to the Lord is a description of how we're filled with the Spirit. So we've seen joy and we've seen contentment. In verse 13, we see spiritual strength in the Lord's provision. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul recognizes this third point, recognizing the capacities to fulfill his ministry do not rest on his own abilities, but rather on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the divine enabler to help him fulfill whatever he calls him to do. I can do all things. It's... This is a reality. He can do all these things, but it's interesting when you take a look at the two Greek words here, they both have to, they both have to do with ability. So we have Paul saying, I can do all these, all these things, but the verb here is, is skuo, and it has to do with having the factual knowledge that you have the ability to do something. And then we have the other word that talks about the strength uh, that comes through Christ. It's a, it's a participle that's describing Paul is enabling him and this uh, participle, this verb is intensified with a preposition and, uh, N uh, prefixed to this verb. So Paul, Christ is enabling Paul and all of us in everything that we're doing continually, actively, he is there at work in our lives. And Paul says, I can do all these things. These are realities. It's, a, it's in, in the indicative mood. It is a reality. And that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. You need to, in order to realize that as you're working in ministry or in your lives to serve and honor and glorify Him, 
He is the one, He is your divine enabler to be able to do whatever He has called you to do moment by moment, day by day. He is there and He is doing it. And I have to have the factual understanding that I am capable of doing that. And we're without excuse on that. (laughs) All things, unlimited, and things that glorify Him. Verse Going back to 2 Corinthians verse uh, verse 10, Therefore I am well contented in my weaknesses with insults, with distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, He is strong. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. The believer needs to embrace this truth in his own personal life as a Reality of Christ's continual, continual enabling as he depends on his Lord to accomplish whatever task he might be confronted with in his life. And it's a continual, ongoing enabling as you actively look to serve the Lord and glorify him. Is this true for you, beloved? Do you rest on your own strength or do you rest on the strength of the Lord to enable you to do what he's called you to do. For apart, apart from me, in John, 5, John 15, 5, he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it's Christ strengthening and Christ empowering will encourage us more and more to take on more opportunities for service to honor him. Paul said in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Why? For this purpose, I also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And capture the spiritual strength in the Lord's um, circumstances of difficulties and trust. In 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18, uh, actually verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we talked about, um, we were in uh, Sunday school class with Alan. I remember I was evangelizing a man from Pakistan, Safter, at a gas station the, the night before 911. And uh, he got to a point where he says, Steve, whatever you believe, I believe. I said, No, no, you have to understand it. We got him an Urdu Bible, and um, I, I had communicated. I went back there afterwards. I didn't know what kind of Muslim this guy was, was or how he was going to react after 911. But you have to recognize your, your life is. God has ordained your life 
you're, you're not going to die early. And what he has set forth for you, you can't change. So go do whatever he's enabled you to do. In Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases, uh, lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will, gra- will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And that word toil is a word kapas. It's to the point of extreme pain or exhaustion. You ever done that? You ever been in ministry and you're just wiped out and there's nothing left? Well, keep toiling for the Lord. He's the divine enabler. So Paul learned this mystery of Christian contentment. Joy in the Lord's provisions, contentment in the Lord's provisions, and spiritual strength in the Lord's provision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. in all the details that you're involved with in our lives. Help us to reflect more. As Paul was saying, I have known to be humiliated. I have known to have prosperity. Help us to have humble hearts and humble spirits to see your provisions in all our lives, whether it's difficult circumstances that you're working in our lives to mold us and shape us, or even prosperity to know your your hand and help us to see as Paul saw it in any and every, in each and every circumstance. Help us to have content hearts in different aspects of our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our jobs or in the church too, or with others. Help us to see our circumstances, whether it's our health, that we can be content. We can take appropriate actions but to try to alleviate some of these things, but help us to just maintain a rightful attitude, a rightful spirit, a teachable, humble spirit, an attitude of thanksgiving, so that you may be glorified and that we may be just like the Philippian believers as Paul was trying to instruct and exhort them to, to pray right, to think right, to act right, and to learn this contentment so that we may progress in the faith with joy and unity and that we could, uh, that we could uh, grow in this Christian contentment that we would be satisfied in all of what you're doing so that you would be glorified. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.